Today's message is titled, Going After God. Going After God. James chapter 4, verse 8. TJ, you better be ready up there today. we got a lot of scriptures to go through. TJ had fun watching the White Sox game last night while we were all watching the Cubs. <laughs> James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw nigh unto God, and he will dry, draw nigh to you. He will not dry, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. But I want to focus there on draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. What does it mean to draw nigh unto God? It means to go after God in every aspect of our lives. See, too many times people, they come up to the altars, they get saved, they ask God into their heart, they ask Christ into their heart, God purifies them of their sins, He becomes Savior of their life. He has just saved them. Through salvation, He becomes Savior. But the church, too many times, universally speaking, they quit at the salvation aspect of our walk with God, of our walk with Christ. We make Him Savior of our life, but we never in turn turn around and make Him Lord of our life. See, Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord, not just our Savior. We stop after the salvation process, but he's sitting there knocking on the door saying, Hey, I'm not just your Savior, I'm your Lord. What does it mean for him to be Lord of our life? It means to be in control and over every aspect of our life. But in the church today, now like I said before, I'm not referring to you guys. I know you guys are all right because you're under my teaching. This is for everybody else. You can go ahead and laugh. That was a joke. Too many times we don't preach the Lord, Him being Lord of our life. We stop at salvation and we end it there. And because of that, we go through our daily lives. We go through our walks in our lives. And church becomes where we get righteous at. Church becomes a religious activity for us. Church becomes a tradition. And once we leave these walls of the building, the building church, not the interior church, once we leave the walls of the building church, we go back out to our regular lives that we had before we made Him Savior. See, we make Him Savior, our, Lord, our Savior, but we never grasp on to the Lord aspect of it. We never fully make Him Lord of our lives. Now, when I say we or, and stuff like that, I'm not saying everybody's like that, but I'm saying there's a large majority of the church that's out there today that is living their life that way. And that's why when, when the Bible says that in the last days there'll be a great falling away, it's going to be that taking place because sound doctrine isn't being preached in the pulpits of the church today. And because of that, people aren't making Him Lord of their life. They're stopping at the salvation process, thinking that they're good to go, and they go on in their walk throughout their daily lives, and they begin to do everything that they did before they got saved when you become saved when you get saved when you make Christ savior of your life then you must make him lord of your life which means you begin to change through the renewing of your mind to which is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God you must begin a change in your life to become what Christ-like everybody say Christ-like to become Christ-like. That's where he's trying to bring us to. Christ-like so that when you walk outside the walls of your safe house, the church that you attend on a, on a weekly basis, when you walk outside those walls, now you continue to pursue God in a manner so that you become Christ-like and that you don't fall to the wayside. You begin to make him Lord of your life. Can you say amen? Now, if you're not doing that in your life, if you're not renewing your mind, if you're not pursuing God, if you're not making Him Lord of your life, when you walk outside these walls, you're going to fall right back into what you did before you came here. There's not going to be a change that takes place. When Christ came into your life, a change took place in your life, on the interior, in your spirit, in your soul. 
Now, as the Bible says, renewing your mind daily, now you must take this word of God, put it up here to renew your mind daily, so now you can begin to become Christ-like. If you're not putting this up here, the change that took place in here took place, yes, but you're not renewing. And what can happen? Now you can fall away. Why? Because you're not renewing your mind in God. You're not becoming Christ-like. The disciples, when they began to follow Christ, what did Christ do with them? He discipled them. In discipling them, he made them what? He was making them Christ-like. He couldn't make them Christ. They couldn't become Christ, but he could have them become Christ-like. Attributes in their life that came out where they, became, where they can now be a witness. They can now be a testimony to the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what God is wanting when he makes us Lord of his life. Not just a, a traditional sit in church on Sunday, then go back and live your life the way it is. It's changing your life and becoming Christ-like, being discipled so that when you leave here and you come back, nothing is different. You're constantly cultivating that in, within your life so that you're changing on a daily basis. As a believer in Christ, as the word says, ever, ever knowing but never coming into the knowledge of, you should always be growing, cultivating, and pressing in toward God till the day that you stand before him in heaven. You will never come fully into all the knowledge of the word of God. You will never get to that point where you're like, wow, man, I finally made it. I'm here. I can do, I can stay home from church on Sunday because I've made it where God wants me to. You will never make it to that point. I will never make it to that point. And there's not a minister or a person that has ever stepped foot on this earth other than save Jesus Christ himself that was ever at that point. The Bible even says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things that belong to the Lord, he's revealed to us that which he wants us to know, but there are those things that we will never know on this earth until we stand before the Father in heaven. So you're never going to know it all. I'm never going to know it all. As you grow in Christ, as you press in, as you renew your mind, as you make him Lord of your life, you open up the Bible, the Holy Spirit will impart something to you every single time. There are scriptures that I've opened up in the Bible and I've read 150 times and I can open them up tomorrow and be like, man, I never saw that in there. It's because the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to that as you draw closer to God, as you renew your mind daily, as you make him Lord of your life, now you learn more. If I was to sit down with a math book tomorrow and open it up, never doing any math, addition and subtraction would be a struggle for me. But as I go through school... Year after year, now I find myself doing algebra and stuff like that, stuff that would have been impossible for me at a younger age, now I'm doing. Why? Because I have grown in my math skills to that point. Don't know why I'm using math as an example. I hate math. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you right now, I never ever reached the level of trigonometry. <laughs> but, oh, we will never reach that level in Christ either on this earth. There are some things that will not be revealed to us no matter how hard we study, no matter how hard we practice, until we stand before the Father. Can you say amen? I'll tell you what, my voice is a little hoarse tonight, today, after last night. <clears throat> Philippians 3, chapter 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I may, might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Why should I go after God? So that I may know him. So that I may know him. As it says in Philippians 3.10. Go back to the last verse, TJ. That I may know him. When you get saved and you ask Christ into your heart. He's become Savior in your life, but do you really know him? 
At that point, you don't. That's why we must ever be learning and getting into the knowledge of God. That's why we go after God so that we can know him. When I met my wife for the first time and I walked up, shook her hand and stuff, I didn't know her. I wanted to get to know her better. I wanted to get close to her. She was attractive to me. So what did I do? I went after her. Okay? Actually, she came after me. I was looking really good back then at that time of my life. <clears throat> I just gave her one of these looks from across the sanctuary. Now, just kidding. But no, I, <laughs> I did what? I pursued her. Any man in here that's married, at one point in your life, you pursued that woman that caught your eye. You went after her. You were attracted to her. There was something about her that you liked, and because of that, you pursued her. And that's how God wants us to be with him. He wants us to pursue him. He wants us to draw nigh unto him. He wants us to get to know him. See, he, he, he came into our lives of salvation. That was that first encounter. The Holy Spirit drew us to the Father through the Son. Jesus Christ in the cross and as, as we drew in now we've asked him into our heart now we now he's part of us we've met him but we don't know him yet there's so much knowledge to know and it's the same way when you went after that person that you fell in love with boy you met him you, you, you they were cool and everything you know you were attracted to him but you really didn't know them I got a sister that dated a guy one time Josh please don't tell anybody this <clears throat> and this guy man everybody thought he was the greatest guy in the world until she got to know him. Then he was psycho, man. He was crazy. See, at that first encounter, she met him, but she didn't know him. Now, the, the glory of this is you know that God's not psycho. You know that God's not crazy. You know that God's not going to sit there and stand over you with a hammer and sickle and try to drive something into your mind. Why? Because we're free moral agents. He's given us a choice. But God wants us to get to know him the same way you pursued that loved one. Go after God. As it says, draw nigh unto me and I will do what? Draw nigh unto you. Pursue me and then I will come to you. When I began to pursue my wife, I would cross, go across the sanctuary, walk up to her every single Sunday morning, shake her hand and say, man, you look great today. That's all it was, and I'd walk up. But you know what? There came a time where I'd start walking across that sanctuary, and I wouldn't have to get all the way over there because she was heading toward me to shake my hand as well. i start walking your way. Remember that old song? <laughs> I'll meet you in the middle aisle, baby. One of these days, it'll be forever. But as I began to pursue her, and she realized that I was pursuing her, she was a little naive back then, but once she began to realize that I was pursuing her, she wasn't naive, man. I, feel, I felt the dart when I said that. <laughs> but once I began to pursue her, and she recognized that, and she began to draw nigh unto me. And then we got married, and now she knows me, and I know her. And it's no different in the kingdom of God. You've met the Savior at the altar, but now he's saying, draw nigh unto me. Get to know me because I'm going to get to know you. And when I get to know you and you get to know me and you've gone after me and I've pursued you as well, now we become one in the spirit. Now the bridegroom is ready to be taken home by the, by the groom. 
by the bridegroom. You understand what I'm saying? Now we're ready to be raptured in the church. Now we are one with God. Now he lives in us. We've been adopted into the kingdom of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. God, I, Christ, I went after you. You drew nigh unto me, and now I'm one. Now I walk in the Spirit. Now I'm led by the Spirit. Now I talk in the Spirit. Now I know the Father. And the more that I get to know him, guess what? The more I fall in love with him, and the more I want to be like him, and the more I want to know about him. See, once, once I fell in love with my wife and I got to know her, now it wasn't enough. I wanted to be with her all the time. I wanted to talk to her all the time. I'm sitting up on the, on the phone at 1 o'clock in the morning. Why? Getting to know. I was communicating that we were getting to know each other at a deeper, more intimate level. And that's what God is saying he wants with his church. He wants a deeper level of communication, relationship, and understanding. Why? Because once you get to that point, you're going to set the devil to flight in your life. You're going to walk in the spirit. You're going to be in his perfect will. You're going to see things happen. He's going to move through you. You're going to change lives for his kingdom. But if we sit back and we never pursue him, we never draw nigh to him, he's never going to meet us at that place. Once I got to that level with my wife, then we got married. Then I really got to know her. She really got to know me. <laughs> but see, I made sure there was a ring on that finger before I re she really got to know me. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9 and 6 calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. And in Psalms 34 and 14, it says, seek and pursue peace. So if Psalms 34, 14 is saying seek and pursue peace, pursue is the word that's used there in the King James Version. I don't know about them funny Bibles, but that's what the KJV says. It says seek and pursue peace. And then Isaiah 9 and 6 calls him the Prince of Peace. So it's saying seek and pursue peace. But churches today aren't preaching that. They're preaching sit back in your pews and God's going to come to you. Sit back in your pews, just take it easy, relax, don't do anything, don't draw an eye to God. He's going to draw an eye to you. You don't have to do anything. Salvation was at the cross. It was freely given, freely you received. Yes, that's true. Your salvation was freely given, and freely you shall receive it. But let me tell you something. After salvation, there's a next level that you've got to go to. There's more to your walk with Christ than just the salvation process. There's more to your walk to Christ than just being baptized in water. There is a relationship that he wants to cultivate with every one of his believers. Can you say amen? amen? Now, how do I pursue God? How do I pursue God, Pastor Cowan? I hear what you're saying. I think it sounds great. It's a pretty novel idea, actually, today in the world. But how do I pursue God? There's four things you can do in your pursuit of God. Number one, we find in James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16. I was waiting on TJ to bring it up. That's why I took a drink. James 5, 16, 15 and 16. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual fervent prayer. What does that mean? That means when you lay your head on your bed at, on your pillow at night and you pray and ask God to forgive you for your sins through the day, then you roll over and you go to sleep. That's a good little prayer to cleanse you of anything that you've done wrong during the day, but it's not an effectual fervent prayer. 
An effectual fervent prayer means taking time out of your day, sacrificing something to, of yours, which is your time, and giving it back to God. It means going before the throne of grace and saying, God, I want to know more of you. I want to seek your face. I want to see your face. I want to know you. Why do we want to seek God's face so bad? Because when you seek God's face, you're pursuing him and you're getting to know him. I just about guarantee you, just about 80% of the people in here that have a smartphone, if you were to pull up your phone, your home screen's got a picture of a loved one on it. That's what we do. It may be your child, it may be your spouse, it, it might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but that's what we do. Why do we put that on our, our home screens on our smartphones? Because it's somebody we care about. It's somebody we love. We want to see their face. God wants us to seek his face. That's what he's asking. Get before me in prayer. Pray. Seek. He's never withhold his, withheld his wisdom. He's never withheld his knowledge from the believer. Seek his face. Why should we seek his face? Because the day's coming when he's going to return after the seven-year tribulation. He's going to return to this earth on a white horse. And guess what? You're not going to see his face. Why? Why are you not going to see his face? Because we are going to be behind him, coming with that army. We're going to see the back of his head. So I want to seek his face as much as I can now so that someday I can see the back of his head as we ride down in to the Mount of Olives. Can you say Amen. amen. The second thing you can do is found in John, the 14th chapter, in the 23rd verse. John 14, 23. Obedience. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. Everybody read that with me. John 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. When we pursue God, point number two there is love. If we love him. What verse you got up there, man? <laughs> See, I love TJ, man. <laughs> But you guys heard the scripture that I read, right? Because this time I didn't have it wrong. I'm just going to let you know right now. You can go ahead and put the right one up there. It was verse 23. If a man loves me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him, and he will come unto him and make an abode with him. John 14, 23. He'll come unto him and make an abode with him. Come unto him. And make an abode with him. If you love me, keep my commandments, keep my word, I'm going to pursue. And that, that's your pursuit, your love. That's your pursuit. And when I see you pursuing and I see you being obedient, I see you being obedient. How are you being obedient? Keeping my words. Keep my words and my father will love him and he will come to him and make his stay with him. Point two. How do you pursue God? Obedience. 1 Samuel tells us that obedience is better than sacrifice. Be obedient unto the scriptures, unto the word of God. When? On Saturdays, on Sundays, on Monday mornings, between 8 and 4 when you're at work. When, no, 24-7. Keep my words. And if you do that, what does he say he's going to do? He's going to love us and he's going to come to us. And he's going to make us his abode within us. <laughs> 
Number two point, the second point there, obedience, church. Without obedience, we fall on our face spiritually. Without obedience, you will never go from point A to point B. Obedience. Point three, humility. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. In your pursuit of God, what does it mean to pursue God at that level? It means do what? To cast all my care upon him. It means nothing in this world that the world deems important and that makes me worry, that makes me afraid, that makes me fearful, doesn't matter if I cast those cares upon him and pursue him in my pursuit to get to know him more. Can you say amen? amen. Put, the, put the first verse up there. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. It doesn't say, first of all, I want to point out, you notice it says the mighty hand of God? See, we don't view it as the mighty hand of God anymore. We just view it as the hand of God. It's the mighty hand of God. Let me tell you something. When Jimmy and Elijah get in trouble, I'm not even at the house. They got in trouble. When I come walking through the door, I can tell you this much. Jimmy's going to break down and start crying. Elijah, not so much. Elijah's not going to break down and, get, and, and start crying until he realizes, hey, this is real. This is actually happening. Jimmy will be crying the whole time I'm gone until I get home. Why? Because he's afraid of the mighty hand of Dad. But see, we're not afraid of the mighty hand of our Father anymore. The church isn't fearful of the mighty hand of God anymore. We're not, we're not, we're not afraid of the repercussions of living our life according to the way we want to live it, not the way God wants to. We don't humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God anymore. We stand up as an arrogant church in the world today doing whatever we want to and how we want to because we don't care about the repercussion. Why? Because we've been taught that the repercussion isn't there. We're going to go out and do whatever we want to do. Why? Well, because I'm saved by grace and that's all I need and I'm good to go. We're not afraid of the mighty hand of God anymore. Ask Ananias and Sapphira how that felt, the mighty hand of God, when they lied to the disciples after Christ died. You got teachings out there now. Well, they don't do that anymore because we're under grace. Christ was dead, risen, and ascended into heaven when they lied. And God took them out, didn't he? He took them out just like that. We are no longer afraid of the mighty hand of God. Point four. And the last point here is found in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. It doesn't say thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart on Sundays and half thy heart on Monday through Saturday. Part of thy mind, except when you're on the internet, with all thy strength, except for when you're tired and you didn't get enough sleep the night before, for this is the first commandment. It doesn't say that, does it? It says with all. When? All the time. What does the word all mean? All. There ain't no hidden meaning there. 
I spent 15 minutes this week looking up the word all to see if there might be some hidden meaning in the word all in the Bible because I was told, oh yeah, you got to understand what division, what, what variation of the Hebrew and the Greek that all is in. You know, you know, I checked every single one out and all means all. All means all. It's ignorant that you got to do that stuff today because why? Because we don't believe what we read when it says all. Well, I know it says all, Pastor, but that only pertains to you because you're a pastor. See, I'm not a pastor. Because of that, I could slip off to the side and not worry about it. All don't mean all, but all does mean all. All thy heart, all thy mind. I guarantee you, every man or woman here that is married, at one point you probably looked at your spouse and said, Baby, I love you with all my heart. Man, you're looking fine today, honey. I love you. All my strength, I would give my life for you, honey. But would we ever say that to, to Christ? Do we ever say that to God in our prayers? He inhabits the praises of his people. He wants us to love us with everything. He wants us to love us more than our spouse. You're to love him before your children. He's a jealous God. But do we do that? Do we put him in that line? Where, where does God fall in your personal line? Do we love him with all of our heart, all of my soul, all my mind, all my strength, outside of these four walls? I remember when, when me and Peg first got married, I'd mess around with her, and I'd say, well, I say mess around, but I wasn't messing around. I would say, you know, baby, there's somebody I love more than you. I know, God. You know, I would do that just to try to get her going. Because that's how I am. I, I mess with people, and sometimes it gets me in trouble, but that's okay. I have fun in the process. Ain't that right, Gene? <laughs> but no matter who is in your life, and this is Bible, this ain't Pastor Cowan, they cannot come before God. Amen. No matter what you're doing in your life, it can't come before God. Amen. It's got to be God first. In your pursuit of him, you will reach that point where that's how you want it. There are people that have walked this earth, and he was everything. That's not impossible. Guys, the likes of D.L. Moody and Smith Wigglesworth and Billy Sunday, Billy Graham. Well, they were all ministers. How do you know you're not? How do you know you're not unless you pursue God and love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul? Let me tell you something. Every person in here is a minister. We are all called to the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. There's that word all again. So we're all in that same boat. But you've got to get to this point before the world's going to believe you. Can you say amen? amen? How does it feel, in closing here, to be in that pursuit and going after God? Psalms 42, 12. As the deer panteth after water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before the God? Before God? As the deer panteth after the water brook. I don't, probably don't have too many hunters in here this morning. They're probably out in the woods. But if you ever sat there and watched a deer run through the woods and he comes up to that water and he's panting and you can see the steam and the cold air. And it's really a beautiful sight. I mean, I love getting up in the, in the tree in the woods and, and killing something. That's beside. <laughs> but you watch that deer. It's been running. It's been playing. I remember sitting over in South Carolina one time 
I went over, I got a brother-in-law that lives there, and, and I went up in this old tree stand, and I was sitting there overlooking the field, and there was three or four does out there, and, and they had three or four fawns out there. They were just playing like crazy, and I abstained from shooting one of them because I saw those little babies there. I'm like, man, I can't kill that mother deer with them babies there. And I thought about, yeah, I can, but I didn't. But as they got done running, there was a little stream. They went over there, and you could see in the cool air because it was probably like 34, 35 degrees that morning. You could just see the steam coming off them, and you could just see them as they kept their head down, just lapping up the water. And I thought, I remember sitting there thinking, man, that's what that song means because there was a song that used to, it's still out, As the Deer Pants. After the water, so my soul longeth after thee, Lord. And it, and it, it was a, it's a beautiful song, and um, I'm not going to sing it for you. Sorry, I wouldn't do that to you. <clears throat> but I remember thinking, God, that's how we are to go after you. The same way that, that deer goes off after that water in the brook. H- have you ever been really, really thirsty? I mean, so thirsty you couldn't, you couldn't stand it, and you finally got that glass. Sometimes here, after I'm done preaching, you probably watch me chug a whole bottle of water up there. Just really, really thirsty, and you're just drinking it in. And sometimes you're like, oh, my Lord, that water tastes so good. Or you've been at work all day or something, you haven't had nothing to eat, and you're just really, really hungry, and you sit down, and the simplest meal just tastes like the greatest meal in the world because it's been so long since you ate. And you just you eat that food, and sometimes you, you, you're just shoving it in because you're so hungry. I know that sounds disgusting to some people. That's okay. When you get that hungry, that's what you do. Like I fasted one time for 10 days and I come off that 10 day fast. I was like, oh my Lord, just give me a bowl of ice cream or something. And, and you're just eating so fast and it tastes so good as it goes in. And God's saying, that's how I want to be with you. That, that you're so hungry for me. That you're th- so thirsty for my presence. You're so thirsty for me to be part of your life. That no matter what's going on in this world, you're just going to stop. And you're just going to continue to take me in and take me in and take me in until I've given you all that I've got to give you. That's where he wants us in his, in his pursuit of him. He wants us to be at that point where we just can't get enough of him. We can't get enough. That it, it, where things of the world dry up and they cease, the things that we enjoy, they cease to exist, they cease to happen. God's well never quits. God's well never runs dry. God will never quit putting food on the table for you as you continue to pursue, you continue to go after him. And that's where he's saying, I want my people. That's where he's saying, I want my church. Go after me. Cast all your cares to the side. Don't worry about what this guy's thinking and what that guy's thinking because they've got to answer to me for their actions. It's you I'm talking to right now. You're the one that I need to pursue. You're the one that's got to come after me and I'll take care of everything else. Cast your cares upon me and I'll take care of them is what he's saying. But there's people in the church today and they won't pursue God. They won't go after God. Why? Because they're too worried about everybody else around them. They're too worried about their own situation. They're too worried about their finances. They're too worried about mom and dad. And God's saying, cast it to the side because you're the one, not them. You're the one that's going to have to answer for your own actions that day that you stand before me. And I say, either enter in or depart from me. It's not going to be anybody else in your life that determined where you're at when you stand, but you and you alone. My wife herself cannot stand there on my behalf. I shall stand there alone. Why do you think he says, love me more than all of them? Why? Because you can't stand in for your children and they can't can't stand in for you. You've got to stand in for yourself. When you stand before God on the judgment day, if you did something wrong in the world today, you're going to have to go stand before the judge and you can have a lawyer and you can have somebody else on either side and they can defend you. But the day's coming when we will all stand before the judge and he's going to judge us on how we pursued him in our life. (laughs) 
I don't want to stand before God someday and have him say, you know, Brother Cowan, you're pretty funny sometimes when you got up there to preach. You could holler and you could shout, but you never pursued me. How come? I had so much that you left on the table. I had so much that you left behind. When, when I think about last night out of Brother Gene's house, and we're, we're, throwing, we're throwing bags, and, and I'm not that good at that. I know, but, you know, I have fun doing it, but I've never pursued greatness in it like T.J., I could just see TJ, and I'm using you as an example now, TJ, and this isn't a bad thing either. I could see TJ in the past standing somewhere hour after hour throwing bags. TJ's probably looking at me right now saying, I know what's wrong with this form, and I can straighten it out. <laughs> but TJ didn't get good at throwing bags overnight. Cindy didn't get good. Gene didn't get good overnight throwing bags. It took hours upon hour upon hour of practicing to get where they are, to get to that purpose, to get to that point of excellence. What makes you think you can do it without do get to that point without putting in the time to God? What makes us think we can pursue God without putting in hours and hours of prayer and reading the Bible and drawing nigh to Him so that He can draw nigh to us? Let's all stand.